0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets.
1: And if you're thinking mom, and you most likely should be, uh, Zupan's is the place to celebrate your mom with local sweet treats from Portland bakeries, like Loretta Jeans Pie. Who doesn't know Loretta Jeans?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking at these images, Chris. You can see these on uh, Zupan's.com, or if you're a member of the news feed, you get this... Uh, Uh, regular email from them. So I'm looking at this beautiful blueberry Victoria pie. That looks delicious. So does this gorgeous uh, cake from uh, Two Sweet Cakes. It's a vanilla berry cake. Mom would love that.
1: Yeah, and it's, that's a good one. If you, From what I can see, if you're just bringing it to mom and want to bring her something beautiful for herself, not a big celebration, that's a good one. Yeah. Vanilla cake with blackberry, raspberry filling and vanilla shortbread pieces topped with vanilla buttercream and just decorated beautifully with flowers and so forth. It's really nice. So the other thing that they have at Zoopans, which is really cool, are runes, which are the coconut macaroons made by um, locally in Portland. And as a matter of fact, we had Jen Topliff, who d- developed it and is the master rune maker. Uh, we had her on the podcast episode what, Court?
0: Uh, re- episode 180. So.
1: 180. I almost said 160. Of course, I have these
0: all memorized. Right. But yes, yeah.
1: 180. One eighty is correct. If you want to find out a little bit more about runes, and then go buy them at Zupans.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, three locations to uh, hook up your mother this weekend. You've got uh, West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego, and of course, we always recommend people go where Chris
1: Zupans dot com and subscribe to their news feed. Do it.
0: All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene podcast. It's right at the fork with your host Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures.
1: And before I introduce you, Court Johnson, I'm going to suggest right up top that people go and subscribe to this podcast. In our eighth year, finally subscribe and write a review yes. so that we get we get on the top of lists um, more frequently. That would be great.
0: Yeah. Right now, you know, I, I, uh, I frequent podcasts, you frequent podcasts, and I always get a kick out of, in the podcast, people saying, listen to us here, and they list off all the different places uh, to listen, you know, to listen to the podcast. But I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, they're listening to the podcast right now. They obviously found it. The more important thing is what you just mentioned, Chris, is to sub- to, the, to like, subscribe, give us a review. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's on Spotify, or Stitcher, or iHeart, we're also on the Odyssey app, we're on TuneIn, we're all over the place, Uh, wherever you listen to us, uh, like and subscribe, that way you get the new episodes as soon as they come in, and then uh, a rating, whichever way you think about us, uh, we'd love to hear about it.
1: I just love the evolution, you realize when we started this in 2014, January of 2014, we had to actually tell people what a podcast was. Yeah. So uh, we've come a long way, baby. And so um, now there are a zillion podcasts. So we're glad if anybody's listening to ours right now, we sincerely thank you because we know you have lots of choices and um, we're trying to keep it fresh and interesting. So we're thankful for anybody who's with us now or has listened over the past eight years. Of course, anybody who hears this is listening now, so thank you so much because we know you have a lot of choices.
0: You certainly do, and you know what's interesting to think about, Chris, is if we have new uh, Right at the Fork listeners uh, that have hopped on within the past year, they might not really realize what Portland Food Adventures is all about. Once upon a time, we used to be able to go to restaurants all together, and you would host these great dinners, uh, and then that involved evolved into some other things, which includes uh, travel, and you've got some trips that uh, people should know about.
1: Yeah, the, the events that we did, we haven't done one since February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. The idea behind Portland Food Adventures was to uh, allow people to get to know chefs uh, intimately and also experience food, our food scene and subsequently more food scenes through the palettes and the knowledge of our chefs. So, for instance, you know, at our events, we would give out give certificates to the places the chefs like to frequent or recommended. And that was always very fun. And we'll get back to that someday. But in the meantime, we're, uh, we're allowing people to get even more intimate or get to know chefs even better by traveling with them. And so with that, over the past five years or six now... We've been traveling to Europe and also to Australia. We have two trips, uh, three trips for 2022 uh, that have some room in them. To, two of them to Basque Country with the chef from Urdaneta, Javier Canteras and his wife to get to know the region where his grandparents are and uh, where he spent a lot of time. Basque Country, San Sebastian, Bilbao and all points in between. So that's available in the spring and fall. um, And also a beautiful trip to Western Sicily, completing our Sicily Junket. We did Eastern Sicily a couple of years ago. Now Western Sicily, which would include Palermo, Agrigento, um, Arice, some beautiful spots with my dear friend, Astri Ensign, um, who knows Italy like the back of her hand. And it's just a delight to travel with. Uh, That's going to be in the fall of 2022, and those are both available on portlandfoodadventures.com, where you'll also see our trips to the Snake River, one of them with uh, Jonathan Gill, the chef from Ringside. That's sold out, but uh, just as fun uh, is Leif Gildersleeve uh, from Flying Fish is hosting a trip with us August 7th, and shh, don't tell anybody, but two spots just became available for that. So those are the last two spots of 32 uh, for our trips on the Snake River, where chefs will be cooking for you and hanging out and fishing with you at the same time. So that being said, let's get back to Portland.
0: Yeah, there there, there we go. There, there, There's a lot going on there. And I think it's important for people right now to start thinking um, it just in terms of, you know, having that good headspace start thinking about awesome things to do in the future. Uh, booking a trip with you, Chris, is definitely one of those things they can do.
1: I appreciate that. And I agree. We're all, we, we like to say, as my friend Dave in North Dakota corrected me from chomping at the bit to champing at the bit, we're all champing at the bit to get out. And um, this is, uh, so these are some great ways to do it. If I do say so myself.
0: Yeah, totally. So, Chris, I was not aware of uh, I love when you bring a guest onto the podcast that uh, I just didn't know anything about. And and that's the case with our guests this week. I, I, I don't I don't even think I had ever heard of Little Lucy baking.
1: Well, that's new. And so that's a pop up that occurs not on a regular basis every week, but monthly at least from what I can see, if you check in on Instagram at little Lucy Baking, uh, you'll see Kat Lesour's, um wonderful little operation that she's running out of her home, popping up her sourdough loaves and some other treats that she has uh, spent time honing during the pandemic. And I only saw this uh, as of a month or two ago that she started actually selling her product, but I've been watching her over the last year honing her baking craft because a lot of people in Portland would remember Kat, not from a bakery as a baker, but as a wonderful chef at this Beautiful restaurant that was open. It is now the space where Patrick McKee is cooking at Dame, right on uh, on Killingsworth. She, uh, her restaurant, cocotte and I've always found myself not pronouncing that properly, but having talked to Kat in this interview, I now know without thinking, it's Cocotte. That's how she pronounced it, where she used to cook... Um, with her friend Zoe. And we had a couple of Portland, speaking of Portland Food Adventures dinners, we had a couple there a few years ago that were absolutely fantastic. And she pulled out all the stops. So we got to know Kat there. And unfortunately, that restaurant closed a few years ago. Um, So she has subsequently been raising a family, taking it easy, and not not, uh, living the grind of a restaurant, which we talk about in this particular interview, um, how that has changed for her and what her expectations are going forward as a, um, a chef and someone who used to own a restaurant. Um, so we got to know her there and fall in love with her. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm having dinner this evening with some friends who I really got to be great friends with, must've been seven, eight years ago at that event. Um, so that's one of the nice things about it. When you have wonderful food in great settings, you make friends for life sometimes, not always, but um, but at any rate, we got to know Kat then, and um, I've been following her pretty much out of the business for a few years, and then it was nice to see her back in the kitchen baking some delicious-looking sourdough bread and some other goodies as well. So I thought it was a good idea. This is a this we'll call a, uh, a, a business that was built during the pandemic, and we like to hear about those, and I'm sure we'll be hearing about more and more as time goes forward. But yeah. right now, um, we have the opportunity to talk to Kat. She was wondering why we want to talk to her, and I'm like, well, because you're doing something new, and we used to know you for something else. So it's really cool to see people evolve and pivot, I guess, we'll use that word again, and develop some, some uh, new things in life as they grow in the business. And that is what Cat Lassour has done with her little Lucy making
2: Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets, Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022. To Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com. And by... Finex Cast Iron Cookware Company. Finex is built for those that believe details make the difference. Whether crafting cookware or cooking a meal, attention to detail can elevate the everyday into something extraordinary. Finex pays attention to detail to bring you inspiration and tools for a lifetime of meals and memories. Make the everyday extraordinary. Find out more at FinexUSA.com. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the
1: time.
3: Yeah, thanks for inviting me.
1: <laughs> oh, it's it's such a pleasure. It's been a long time. Yeah. So, rather other than our podcast listeners having the privilege of hearing from you, I, the one nice thing about this is I get to reconnect with yeah, you. Yeah, I know. It's been a long time. When was the last time we spoke? Uh, years. Oh,
3: oh, my gosh. I feel like it's been years. I don't know. This, I mean, this last year has been insane, obviously, for everyone, but I,
1: I don't know. Oh, it was way before that. When did you close Cocoa?
3: That was in um, 2015. Okay. So, yeah, it's been a long time.
1: It's been a while since then, save for a chat or two. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I was very sad. Uh, you know, this year we've gotten used to some closings, right? And they're all sad. Yeah. But I was really sad when you closed your beautiful little restaurant over there.
3: Oh, thank long you. ago,
1: because it was, um, well, you two did such a, well, more than you two, you, <laughs> you, you few yeah, did such a marvelous job. It was such a beautiful spot. And, um, you know, it was kind of sad to, to see you close years ago. And, um, but it's kind of, it's been nice in the middle of this pandemic to see you kind of reemerge. I And it's more than kind of. You have reemerged, of course. <laughs> in your life, you've been there. You've had, uh, in, the, in the time since we've spoken, you've had a child. So yeah. so you left the restaurant business for a little while and, and ra- started raising a family. That's a very nice thing. And had the time to be there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having done it now, I, I know that so many people... Um, raise families while owning and running restaurants and like hats off to them. I don't know how they do it. I, I'm not built for that. I wouldn't be able to do it.
1: Well, on top of it now over the past year, they've not only been doing that, but they've been schooling their kids.
3: Right. Like that just seems superhuman to me. I seriously, I don't understand how anyone has gotten by, it's crazy.
1: Well, I've always felt that way about anybody who owns a restaurant or a chef. I've always felt they're superhuman because, you know, I personally, you know making three things in the kitchen at the same time and being able to have a conversation is an impossibility. (laughs) yeah
3: so, it's it's like um I do hear that from people a lot that you know but it, it's so different um cooking at home as opposed to cooking in a kitchen where you have like all of your prep and your, you know it's like built for um cooking for a lot of people at once so it is different but and you're trained for it but yeah it's like it's so demanding in ways that I don't know. I can't even describe. And like some people are superhuman and are built for it. But like, for me, I just felt like it kind of broke me a little bit. And I'm definitely not eager to get back into restaurants
1: anytime. (laughs) So, but you, and you found an alternative to, uh, to satisfy your, uh, your excellence in cooking and your excellence to share your need to share it with others. Yeah.
3: yeah. So
1: now you're, um, we're seeing, I've been watching you bake for a little while on Instagram and yeah. now you've, I didn't know that the, well, you can tell us whether your end game was to create a bakery and have a pop up and be sharing your goods with others. How did that, how did that come about?
3: Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, Funny to think back on it, because like until um I closed cocotte um like forever before that, I was always super intimidated by baking, and like um you know, we would do all of our desserts in house and stuff at the restaurant, but they were like cook's desserts is what I would call them because I didn't want to you know do anything like too challenging or um finicky just because I wasn't skilled in that, and um With like bread, especially that was always really, I just didn't have any kind of foundational understanding of it. So it was just like a good thing to dive into. um, Once I had all this free time on my hands and I was like, I'm just going to play around with it, you know, see if I can keep a starter alive. And then like the um, process of adding that to flour, more flour and water and salt and like watching it, you know, just. like magically turn into bread is just like addicting to me, I think. And um, I just kept at it and made a lot of really horrible bread as I like learned um, so much. There's so much to learn. There's still so much to learn. Um, But now I feel like I have a pretty good foundational understanding of it like five years later. So um, it's just fun. And like you said, I just have this need to share, especially because I'm like obsessing over it and making so much of it like we can only eat so much bread. (laughs) So I have to like you know have other people to help me eat
1: it. So is that is that how it started as the idea to do a little pop-up and name it? Uh, You weren't going to name it so it was it we just have too much and I uh, or was there uh, was there a business plan?
3: No 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 there was never a business plan it was just like I wanted to see if I could learn how to make bread and then I just couldn't stop and got addicted and and then, like, I, I, even though I'm kind of adverse to, like, committing to owning another business, it's just, I can't help but have this, like, entrepreneurial, creative um, mind going all the time. And so, I immediately start thinking about it as a business, even if I don't really want to commit to it as one. Um, and it just kind of snowballed, I guess, like, I was just playing around with, like, logo stuff and branding and imagining what it would look like and if there was a way that I could do that um sustainably for me like you know while having a toddler and not um getting too stressed out by it and stuff and um you know the pandemic kind of like offered an opportunity for that with people got into this like Bartering thing, and it was really fun to have people like come pick up some starter for me because everyone was getting into sourdough starter, and um, then I just started putting bread on the porch for people to come pick up, and they leave like wine or some handmade thing and in exchange, and that was really fun. So I don't know. Really, since the beginning of the pandemic, I started thinking more about how to do it, and the pop up thing just seemed like it had the flexibility um, that I wanted, and Allowed me to kind of set up like a little, um, I don't know, business like professional presence without all the scary overhead of like actually owning a bakery.
1: And also without the super commitment. So if you, you know, don't happen to be able to bake on a particular, you know, week, then no one's really gonna miss you. You're not gonna get bad Yelp reviews.
3: Exactly, exactly. Yeah it's just kind of like I'm there when I can be there. And if I sell out, I sell out. Um, and yeah, it's just like way, way less stressful. It's actually fun, um, which is the goal for me is to make it fun. So um, it's been really enjoyable so far.
1: So five years to, yeah. to get to this point, it obviously gives you, helped you not that you didn't have it already, but probably made your respect people like Ken Forkish and those folks who've really honed a craft. At what point did you think this is good enough to go out there and share with people who don't know me?
3: Um, I don't know that I feel that way even now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm hoping that people aren't lying to me when they say it's good. And like, I do think it's good, but I'm always going to be kind of insecure about anything I put out there. Um, but I don't know, I guess like when I started seeing more consistent results and, and like seeing the results that I was aiming for in the end product, if that makes any sense. Cause like a lot of times when you're, there are like a million different things that you can be tweaking in your process or your formula, and you think it's going to give you this and result. And then you cut into the loaf and it's not at all what you were expecting to see. So like, that's another learning experience, but um, I think I've finally gotten to the point where I more or less know what it's going to look like when I cut into it, you know, based on like the whole process. So I think just feeling like I know it that well um, made me confident enough to put it out there.
1: And so you have a lot of um, connections from your, restaurant days. So I guess it probably wasn't, but th- we should probably indicate where people can find little Lucy at some point. Uh, we could do that in the intro too, and probably will, but okay. it doesn't hurt to refresh anybody's memory. Where, where can we find you? And how did you set that up?
3: Um, yeah, so I'm popping up in the little courtyard space, um, next to Artigiano food cart on, it's like 33rd and division. Mm -hmm. And, um, that came, I, I was kind of thinking like, I was reaching out to a bunch of little businesses in my neighborhood, um, that seemed like non-competitive, but maybe like their customers would be interested in a little pop-up bakery presence like while they're shopping or getting coffee or whatever like like wine shops and stuff but nobody seemed to really um be interested in that and then I actually saw um on Instagram Sunday Bread Project is another um sourdough pop-up in town and um they have like a cult following for their bagels, which look amazing. And they're popping up, um, in the like alley Mezza food cart behind someday lounge. And I just thought that that was so cute. And I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, like to kind of help a food cart, um, with, you know, their overhead, give them a little bit of rent and use it during their off hours. You know, that seems like a win-win. And so, um, I was connected with Rachel of Artigiano through Josh Chang, who um, you know does a lot of work with restaurants and photography, but he also, uh, during Artigiano's season, he is like the front of house manager for Artigiano. And so he kind of connected us and she was super into it, especially because um, the food cart is only open like in the summer, basically spring and summer. So I started when she wasn't even in Portland. So I think just like having a little bit of extra um, cash on hand to help with her off season helped. And um, it's just like a really good fit for me. And she's been really supportive. And it's been a good fit so far.
1: Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I don't think I've seen anybody popping up in food carts very often. I'm sure it's been out there and I forget, but usually it's in restaurant space that that's been happening or somewhere else. Yeah. But that's a great idea. Um, yeah,
3: I thought it was a great idea too. Um, it it made so much sense. So that the Sunday Bread project is what inspired me to to think about that. And then the artigiana space came to mind just because of my connection with Josh.
1: That's great. So how's it going? How long have you been doing it?
3: Um I've only done two, I think. Um, but I have another one coming up a week from tomorrow um on the 23rd and it's been good. Um the first one was a little bit slower than I was ant- anticipating because the time that I set up was weird. Um but again it's like I'm trying to just find a time that works into my schedule that's you know I'm like admittedly being a little bit I don't know selfish I guess or like just trying to do it on my terms so that it doesn't get too stressful and it remains enjoyable but um Then the second one, I I had a better time slot of like noon to two, and that was pretty busy. Um, And that was like a bagel-focused one where I made a bunch of bagels. And my friend and chef, uh, Morgan Deeks, did a bunch of like um, flavored cream cheeses to sell alongside them. So, um, And I also had like my signature bread and stuff like that. But um, that was really fun. It was like a little bagel (laughs) pop-up.
1: So, um, and what... What is going on where all of a sudden sourdough is the thing? What ha- How did that happen?
3: I don't, I really don't know. I think it's so funny. Um, Cause you know, like it, it was definitely becoming like a trendy thing when I got in, I'd been interested in it a long t- for a long time, but like when I first started playing around with it, like five or six years ago, I don't remember how long ago, it was starting to be like a trendy thing. And then I think it just exploded at the beginning of the pandemic. Cause everyone was like, you know, I don't know, everyone was like Renaissance man and woman and like trying to just do all the fun things you know, for themselves that they had never had time to do before. And sourdough is like a um, perfect example of that because it takes so much time and most people just don't have time for that. so um, but it was it was fun how like uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was I felt like a sourdough hotline. Like I was getting um, phone calls and text messages from friends like all over the country asking me and sending me pictures of their starter and stuff like that. So it was fun.
1: Oh, that's great. So you were almost an instant. Well, I can't call it an instant. Five years ago, but in the pandemic, an instant expert. Um, yeah, yeah. And that must have felt good because you had to. You you had to have confidence to be able to do that. I mean, if any if any um, uh, craft requires confidence i would imagine it's baking you you have to because you can you can't see it until you're not you're not babying it the whole way well that's the
3: frustrating thing about it for me or was while i was really i mean i'm still learning i don't mean to say like i am done learning or anything but when i was first learning about it that was the frustrating thing for me because i'm fairly impatient and um so sourdough has really like tested my my patients. And, um, you know, I always want to know like what the result of it is, is right away and you, you just have to wait. So um, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, you know, it seems to me based on uh, you're talking about being a little, getting a little obsessed with bread and I know you obsess about your fitness. Yeah, uh, you know, I re- I was once married to someone who was overly obsessed with fitness. So when I when I watch you, it kind of reminds me of that or her. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's interesting to see that you have some. I'm not uh, listen. I'm not a I'm not a uh, a closet psychologist or psychiatrist, but you <laughs> seem to have some OCD tendencies, and you have and you have managed to. Um, fulfill those in healthy ways Uh so have you ever have you have you realized that and realized gee you're not you're not doing some things uh that are very unhealthy with your ocd it's kind of good to do it for health with healthy things
3: yeah i mean um and like i don't know and you could argue too that like being ocd about fitness too can go too far in the in one direction and become unhealthy for sure but I no, can no. have
1: that discussion with you anytime.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm there, especially now that I have a toddler um, distracting me from it. I don't get, you know, it's like as long as I can get 20 minutes in. I don't know, five days a week. That's that's pretty good
1: for me right oh, now. That, that's good. I, I had someone looking for two hours every day with toddlers. So. Oh no! 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 Yeah. No. So don't get there. Yeah. No. That's impossible. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's funny that you mentioned it. Like I definitely have OCD tendencies. It's um, like, you know, one of one of our themes in, in therapy, <laughs> so.
1: Well, but again, it's a healthy way that you've managed to, that it's manifested. So I, I commend you for it. And okay. so it's also interesting that the, um, the little bit of the balance or paradox between Baking bread with lots of sugars and then working it off at the same time. So I'm sure you're eating the fruits of your labors too.
3: 100%. Yeah. And um, I do try to focus on like, um, I mean the, one of the nice things about like basic sourdough is there are so few ingredients, right? It's like flour, water, salt, and that's it. And so um, the flours that you choose, you can really, adjust the nutritional makeup of the bread. You, you know, if you're choosing like whole grains and a variety of whole grains, it can really be, um, a super nutritious thing to eat. But then of course I am also making like cinnamon rolls and pretzels and, you know, blondies and stuff like that. So,
1: Oh, I wish I lived closer. What about rye bread? Are you doing any rye? Because the yeah. it's hard to find good rye around on the west. What Coast.
3: kind of rye do you mean? Like the
1: the Jewish, Jewish rye. Jewish, Jewish rye, rye yeah. Foods.
3: Um. Yeah, I made like a deli rye, um, specifically for um corned beef made by my friend Adam Kaplan. Um. Right. Yeah, we he does really really good Jewish deli food, and so like I'll make the bread, and he makes the um the slaw and the uh, corned beef and we have some really good uh, corned beef sandwiches.
1: (laughs) So as time goes on, you'll probably find more and more little collaborations that you can do. It's kind of, it seems very fun. There's a lot you can do with bread. and I know there are a lot of um, chefs out there looking for good bread. So if you can do the volume at some point, there may be opportunity there. I know you know that.
3: Yeah. That's a tricky thing though. Like I have been approached by a couple of chefs who want certain things like in their restaurants or their food carts. And, um, I would love to do that, but because I'm a cottage industry, um, I just, I can't actually do that. So no wholesale for me for the, uh, for the time being.
1: Do you see yourself getting there?
3: Um, it's possible. I wouldn't like, um, totally rule it out, but I don't know. Maybe like, I guess maybe when I'm done having um, a toddler or toddlers, like if because we're planning on having a second child at some point, and so maybe when they're older, uh, I could think about that. But right now, I'm 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 liking the flexibility of the cottage uh, bakery.
1: And so, the, I guess you you said it before. If you still had your restaurant, it probably would have been difficult with you with first toddler and then planning a second toddler. Yeah. well they're, they're not toddlers forever <laughs> <They're>, oh, no. <laughs> they're, they're, they start as babies chris they go to toddlers and then they get older but yeah i so. guess that's
3: what i guess they just keep growing i don't it doesn't seem to be stopping <laughs> So,
0: hey chris let's pause a moment and welcome on board to the right at the fork family a great new sponsor finex cast iron cookware company
1: yes we're delighted and the reason we're delighted is because we're, you know having been in advertising for years i just love the fact that we have a podcast and we have advertisers that we truly believe in anybody who's listening to the podcast knows some of the others that we talk about every week and they're near and dear to our hearts well so is finex because Court, I think you uh, agreed and I did, too. It's almost every day for the last few years, ever since we acquired our Finex cast iron skillets that we've been using them
0: daily every single day. There is a use in my family for our 12 inch cast iron pan
1: and they still look great and they're easy to clean. And one of the things I like best about this cast iron, and I wasn't a big cast iron user before this, once in a while for some kind of casserole, but I'm frying on this every day, is the smooth surface. It is unlike anything you've ever seen in a cast iron skillet. And of course, that's one of the features that caused Finex to bring cast iron to the fore in the cooking world in the last few years. It's not that it hasn't cast iron hasn't been around for years, but now it's really become the thing and Finex is the premium for, as they say, Finex is built for those that believe details make the difference. And that Couldn't be a truer statement.
0: One of the things I love about my uh, 12-inch skillet, Chris, is not only is it awesome and versatile, you can do so many things with it, it's like a work of art. It's just a beautiful piece of iron, and uh, to know that it was, you know, that Finex is based here in Portland, and in fact, I was just reading, it takes 12 hours and 12 hands to create these beautiful pieces of, again, artwork and great cooking material.
1: Yeah, I leave mine right on my stovetop because it's... No reason to put it away. No, it's great use it all the time.
0: No I'm lazy. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think you're lazy at all because I do the exact same thing. I want people when they walk into my kitchen to say, "Oh wow, you have a Finex."
1: Yeah, they're great. And there's a reason over this past year when I've been watching a lot of chefs like Gabriel Rucker and others doing their home cooking demonstrations on Instagram. You're always going to see them cooking in Finex.
0: Yep. Uh, Here might be the best thing about uh, when you purchase a Finex product is that all Finex products are guaranteed good forever. Can't beat that. Yep.
1: Yeah. No, you can't beat that, and that's a pretty confident statement and business proposition for them to make. Mm -hmm. So, find find all their products at FinexUSA.com. So, did when when you closed Kakot, were you was that uh, was that a was it bittersweet for you? Was it a happy time because you got to move on, or was it sad?
3: Uh, yeah, I would say it was bittersweet because, um, like the the saddest the thing I miss most are um, my staff, the community that we built there. I'm I'm still close with a lot of them, which is really great. Um, and I miss, you know, seeing them regularly and working with them. That was really fun. Um, and then of course the regulars, like we had such a great uh, community of regulars and I really do miss seeing them and being part of their uh, special occasions and stuff. And that was really fun. But, uh, you know, the there is a big sweet element to it too. Just like um, such a huge weight off my shoulders so much less stress um so much more balance in life and yeah like ultimately um it was definitely the right call to close
1: and yeah well that was then that was 2015. How have you felt over the past year watching your friends and colleagues go through what they've gone through?
3: Yeah I feel for them so much I mean I I I've said so many times my, you know, Henry and I have said so many times to each other, like, we're so thankful that we, I mean, running a restaurant is hard enough, you know, under normal circumstances and throwing this pandemic into the mix. I just cannot imagine I'd be having a panic attack, like every second of every day. I think, um, I might, I'm really impressed by how people have gotten through it with so much grace and resilience. Like it's just, um, mind boggling to me. And I really hope that, you know, restaurants get restaurants and the staff get the relief and support that they need, um, sooner than later. Cause it's already been taking too long, I think.
1: Oh, it's been a long time and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, we can say on the outside as we're watching places, open, close, reopen in a, in a limited fashion. Um, but it's, um. Uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, and uh, really, the depressing talk has got has hit a threshold where we have to talk about the future and move on. But yeah. um, we're I'm hopeful that some positive. There are some positives that will come out of it, like takeout mm-hmm. businesses will. Once a restaurant gets up and running, they'll have another arm that they have time to develop, and so right. we see that. But um, it's it's been really tough watching everybody. So are you still, you know, you're busy at home with your family, but are you still in touch with some, a lot of people in the business? Are you still in touch with Zoe, your former business partner in the restaurant?
3: Yeah, we've, um, we've been talking a lot like um, online and staying in touch. And it's been really fun to be connected uh, through Instagram and seeing what she's, she's in Walla Walla now. Um, and it looks like she's doing great. She's got, um, you know, she's working with a a winery there and, um, doing catering and stuff like that. And, um, it's called rhizome feasts. I don't know if you follow on Instagram, but yeah, it looks like she's doing great. Um, and then the Portland industry, you know, um, I feel like the chef community is pretty, um, close knit, even. I I don't know. I'm like, why does anyone, I'm like, not in the restaurant industry anymore, but people are still so nice to me (laughs) and like, um, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's great to be connected with people even during this time of like isolation through Instagram mostly, Um, but trying to support restaurants and getting to see them from time to time is, is fun.
1: So the first time I learned after I met you and we did, you were kind enough to do some really beautiful events at Cocotte with Portland Food Adventures when- Yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you think so. They yeah. were, but um, the two that we did with you were really memorable and beautiful and had such beautiful space and everybody was so into it. It was really nice. But I learned then that on my first uh, visit to Portland, when I was buzzing through in 2004, I believe, or 2003 maybe, and I set myself up. I was here for three days and mm-hmm. I was nuts. I set myself up for a, a date with a belly dancer, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, that wasn't the, it turns out she was a belly dancer. I was not looking for someone to try to <laughs> belly dance. Okay. That wasn't like a prerequisite. We went, we went to Lucy's table and it turns oh. out that you were the chef there. Well, and, yeah, I was a line cook there. <laughs> well, a line cook. You were, you were there. And um, yeah. I was eating your food back in 2004. You were a pup, right? You must have been. Well, how old were you then?
3: Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Like 20. Wait. No, no, no. Not in 2004. That can't be right. No, no. Because I didn't move to Portland until
1: 2008. Oh.
3: So I was at Lucy's table, but not until like 2009. Is when oh, I- all right. Well, then there, there
1: goes that. Yeah. <laughs> I literally thought that was the case. And I thought it was rather charming that I was eating your food. Oh,
3: yeah. I'm sorry. Food to... that
1: you touched way before that. So, all right. Well, <laughs> it's been happening a lot on this podcast. I think it's a result of the, p- the pandemic. I throw things out there and they're immediately retrieved yeah. and thrown back at me.
3: I was going with it for a second. And then and then my my tired parent brain caught up after the fact and realized that that math didn't pencil out.
1: (laughs) So then let's talk about that a little bit. You, so you arrived in Portland in 2008. Where were you before that? And where did you, where did you learn, start to learn your chops for cooking? uh, And what brought you out to Portland? That's three questions in one. (laughs) Uh, Open that package up.
3: Okay. So before um, Henry and I moved to Portland. We were, we moved out here right after we graduated, uh, from the university of Iowa in Iowa city. And, um, so we're both from the Midwest from Illinois. We both went to, uh, undergraduate there. And then, um, honestly, um, at like towards the end of school, we were trying to figure out where we wanted to move. We knew we wanted to go West, and we knew that Henry was going to be applying to law schools, so we were kind of like narrowing it down between Denver and Portland because those were places we wanted to be, um, law pro- law school programs that he was interested in, and also um, you know a good restaurant scene for me that was important. Um, and I didn't really know yet um, when we decided to move here that I wanted to go to culinary school, but I went to culinary school when we moved here. Um, and it just kind of dawned on me, like after I had exhausted other options, um, looking into psychology graduate programs, because my undergraduate was psychology and realized that I didn't want to go into clinical. I didn't really want to do much more school, like that kind of conventional school. And I had just been kind of obsessed with cooking for a long time. I was always cooking for friends, dinner parties, that kind of stuff, um, Always been drawn to the restaurant industry, but hadn't really worked in it and went to culinary school when we moved here and just, um, totally got hooked. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty short, intense road to opening my own place, um, in 2010,
1: 2011. So, yeah. And how'd you meet
3: Zoe? Um, working at Lucy's table, actually.
1: There you go. (laughs) Yeah, we're both
3: on the line there, so...
1: Um, So yeah, the whole food world has burgeoned quite a bit uh, since then. That's about 2007, 2008, when you you could mark that in time as a time when a certain level was reached in Portland. There were certainly some of the underpinnings of all the great things about Portland before that, but that's when you saw some of the protégés moving out and opening their own places, much like you were. So, and it's different now. Do you think if you were interested, it would be a different deal opening Kukuk in 2022. Completely. Than it was in 2010.
3: Yeah, completely. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like I think the bar is set so much higher now if, I mean, I don't, like, it's just so, there's just so much good food here. Um, And the, I think it would be really hard to do it on a shoestring the way I did Cocotte because um, all the spaces are so beautiful and all the um, branding and marketing and stuff is all super dialed in from the get-go, it seems like, with these places that are um, buzzy from the start. And with Cocotte, everything was just like, you know, just scrounging together, doing everything ourselves and uh, figuring it out as we went along. And like, it's nice to hear you say that it was a beautiful space and everything. But when I think back on it, it was just so like um, scotch taped together. <laughs> and like, to see it now with uh, as Dame how beautifully they redid it and it's just so polished like I that's awesome to see because I always knew that that space had so much potential but I just couldn't fully realize it so
1: well uh, you uh, thought that you laid the foundation for dame because what they had to do and it is absolutely beautiful yeah but what they had to do was take something that was already very nice and you did a great job with it and just just brush it up a little little bit to get it <laughs> to where to get it to where it is so but I think it was very. It was, um, it was the way it was in 2010. Nobody yeah. was going to judge you, even if they could tell there was tape putting it all together, yeah. um, that's the way it was. Now it's a different story. However, as we move into the next phase, it's gonna be very interesting to see um, how that's gonna work because, you know, leading up to the pandemic, there was a lot of, you know, it costs a lot more to open a restaurant and the stakes were higher. Um, and everything was higher, so the your employees need more money because rent's higher. but let's it's going to be interesting to see what happens after this, how that's going to manifest itself and then Portland has the added burden of overcoming a national reputation now, which before this happened, you know tourism the food tourism was a big part of Portland's growth now mm-hmm. um, you know it's going to take people a little while to to want to come back I think but others dispute that so we'll see I don't know
3: yeah we'll see only time will tell I guess it's going to be interesting for sure when stuff starts opening back up
1: what have you, what are your friends in um you know in Chicago area do they do they have some uh impressions of Portland now that that you have to beat down to say it's not the whole city
3: no not really I don't um yeah, I don't, th- I don't know that that narrative is really like, st- stuck. Um, but maybe that's because of like, who my friends are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, maybe it has maybe that idea of Portland has stuck with certain people and, and not others, depending on like, what news programs you watch, for example, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it has to, it has to do with how much news you're consuming, too. Yeah, not yeah. how you're doing it. So, um, so, uh you're, you're in good health. You have a healthy toddler. You got, um, a lot going on. And so are you looking a year or two out or no, you're just taking it day by day, pop up by pop up. And
3: yeah, basically it's like week by week, I think. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty much doing the pop up like every three weeks right now. Um, but I'd like to get to maybe twice a month. Um, but we'll see, I don't know, like um, Rachel at Artigiano was talking about maybe setting up like a, a little like mini market in that courtyard um, over the summer too. So that might be a fun thing to add to the mix. Um, and I'm also just kind of like keeping feelers out there for other places that might wanna um, host a pop-up or collaborate on something like that. Um, Cause it is really fun.
1: I'm sure it will happen. You know, I've been watching um, a Lasagna Project uh, just grow and grow and grow. He sold out, you know, a week ahead of time for three delivery dates. And I remember <laughs> when he was starting. So um, it doesn't take long for that to get around and for that to happen. So
3: Yeah, it's cool how how much people in Portland are really supportive of that kind of thing. I'm always kind of amazed that, like, even when I pop up on division and people are just walking by and they stop and check it out. And I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's just awesome to me that they're not like skeptical because I'm not in a storefront, you know?
1: (laughs) I think it's people have come to accept it. I mean, I'm even, uh, I've had some, I've done relay races with lasagna and some other products too to have them delivered to my kids in Portland. My girlfriend picks it up, brings it out here and then we make it. So That has become normal. And then I just actually found a guy who's doing baking here in Halem. Oh, cool. Popping up out of his house. He posts what he's got on Facebook. You want to come by and pick it up? And it's quite reasonable and it's interesting. And it's kind of fun to see that it's happened in small communities like this. So I think it's going to be uh, accepted. And, uh, you know, more and more people are doing their own thing now. Yeah. And it comes with less responsibility, too. Um, So uh, I think it will continue, and it's going to be part of – it's going to be, you know, years ago, it was uh, small restaurants with with creative dishes and then food carts and then pop-ups. And now this is a different – slightly different kind of pop-up.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if, like, the pandemic is kind of – to thank for that just that like you know everyone had to find more flexible flexibility in terms of like working from home and stuff and just creativity and I don't know it's been that's one silver lining I think is just to see how people have adapted and found new ways to be productive and creative and um like I mentioned earlier the the whole like bartering economy coming back um it's just yeah I'm I'm curious to see like how much of this carries over after this pandemic is hopefully behind us in the future.
1: I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It will. I think it will carry over and it will become uh, commonplace and just uh, weave itself into the the fabric of the whole food scene. It's, gonna, it's yeah, going to be, be cool. part of
0: Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, Ringside Steakhouse.
1: Yes, we can't wait to get back in because, of course, the governor has indicated they must close again their indoor dining on Friday, which, of course, sucks for Ringside and everybody. But Ringside is well versed in taking care of you, whether you can if you can't dine in. Uh, They have meal kits and lots of to-go things. So if you check their website, you'll most likely see what options exist for uh, dining with ringside. And uh, one of the things you'll see is a meal kit for two for Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. It's just fantastic. Starting with two eight-ounce prime fillets, some prawns. Uh, of course, ringside steak seasoning, which you're not gonna get anywhere else. Caesar salad, r- their roasted Yukon gold potatoes, grilled Washington local asparagus, and of course, chocolate lava cake. And you can you can multiply that by, get a second meal kit for another two people if you'd like.
0: Very nice. So if you'd like to learn more about the Mother's Day meal kit, order that meal kit, or just look at the to-go menu, uh, head on over to ringsidesteakhouse.com.
1: Not to put you on the spot, because I, I probably should have asked you, told you, I, w- I would ask you this, although it's not something I had written down, but I generally ask it. Are there any places uh, throughout this pandemic that you've been doing takeout that are particularly notable that you love, That uh, or any restaurants you've been hitting that you may not have hit before?
3: Um, you know, we really should do takeout more often, I feel like. Um, i i've been trying to keep up with like cooking as much as i can for um especially for my toddler um but yeah i don't know um i do feel on the spot
1: That's <laughs> well, all right We can. i can actually just take that out how's that yeah,
3: that's fine it well it, it's it's yeah i'll it'll come to me it's like i can hardly remember what i had for dinner last night or like breakfast this morning so
1: <laughs> yeah no I get that, believe me. And so then sometimes I'm reminded, remember we went there three or four weeks ago? So um, how I've been lately um, cooking for my dog, who's elderly and getting up to 17 years old. I never had to cook for him before. It was kibble for years, but now, now I got a finicky dog. And that cooking is a little different, but man, I'm doing the dishes so much more than I normally do. A couple of meals a day and I have to try two or three things to get things down. How is it for you, you know, becoming a mom and cooking for a, a little one compared to professionally in the kitchen? Did that, has that changed your thinking about cooking? Uh,
3: I don't think so. It's just like, um, especially before he was a year old. And like, I really wanted to be cautious about how much salt he was getting. Um, You know, cause their little kidneys can't really process a lot.
1: I never uh, thought twice about that. Although I wasn't at that age, I wasn't doing all the.
3: Yeah. The I mean, either. for most people, it's probably not a huge concern, but like as a restaurant cook, I, I use a good amount of salt. And so like that just, it it gave me pause when I was like cooking for him. And then it just resulted in a lot of experiences where I was like, Oh my God, this is so bland. And so it just be like adding salt to my, cause he just eats what we eat. And so like, I wouldn't salt along the way and then just salt art like mine and Henry's afterwards. And so, you know, it's just not as good. And that was frustrating for a while, but now he's pretty much just eating whatever we eat. And, um, I do think about, I think it's good because I think more about like the balance that I want to provide for him. And that just makes sure that we're all eating like nutritionally balanced stuff. And, um, it's fun because I try to introduce him to as many new things as I can, as often as I can. And so like pushes me away from the same basic stuff I, I cook all the time, you know, just like getting to try new stuff. Um, it's an, it's an excuse to try new things. So that's fun.
1: So are Henry and your son enjoying some of the wonderful things you used to cook at Kakat, or are you, uh, <laughs> are you going a little simpler?
3: Yeah, I would say it's a little simpler. Um, every once in a while I'll do something like, you know, chicken liver mousse, but I'm not making escargot and chicken confit all the time. So
1: even once in a while, I would think once Sometimes. in a while.
3: Yeah, once in a while, especially if we're having, you know, well, this hasn't really happened in a long time. But if we're ever having people over, I like to make some of those dishes like the poulé and cocotte is a fun one to do. So, um, but yeah, that's definitely not happening on a daily basis.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, no, I didn't think I didn't think it was daily, but I just wondered if you once in a while I wanted to stretch your, no pun intended, your wings a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and do that. So, all right. Well, listen, I re- I know you're busy and I really appreciate the opportunity to get together with you again. And it's good to see your, it's good to see your smile because I <laughs> always, en- always enjoyed that. And um,
3: a, even though I can't see you live, it's a nice picture. I like your You know, it's good. It's, where, it's
1: exactly where I'm sitting and I've had these, te- I fixed the Audio technical difficulty that we had in the last two podcasts. I'm so happy I fixed that. So if sacrificing you're seeing me live is yeah. that is working for that, it makes me happy. But um but it's good to see I want to try your bread. So I have to figure out a way to do that relay or get yeah. back, once I start getting back there more often. This podcast was my reason for getting back into Portland quite a bit. Right. It would lead me to be there on Sunday nights and then I would stay Monday and Tuesday. Well, I just haven't. Been doing that over the yeah. Past.
3: Well, we love to go to the coast, so the next time we're headed headed out there, I'll uh, try to swing by and drop a loaf of bread on on your porch.
1: <laughs> I'll take that, and I'd love a loaf of good rye if you. Oh keep yeah, that in mind. That. no problem. <laughs> I actually went to the uh, the Manzanita Fresh Foods here one time. Well once was checking out and the checkout guy there who's been there forever picks up my loaf of rye. And he said, rye bread, who eats this? And I was, Yeah. And I know exactly. It's like, do I have to explain this to you? But, and then I realized if I have to explain that to you, just finish my order, please. And let me yeah. get going. So, um, <laughs> but now I miss a good rye and, you know, years ago in the ad business, um, Funny anecdote now that I think about it in relation to what you're doing, I worked at an agency in Connecticut and our our, our one my account was Arnold Bread, which is the which is the companion to aura Wheat back on oh, the okay. East Coast, and so we used to do uh, focus groups in Orlando, Florida on bread. So I remember going down to these focus groups thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to Disney World and going to hang out. And because my experience with focus groups before that was with my account that I've worked on as a young guy, Seagram. And those focus groups were awesome. They just went and drank and ate sushi and then took the report from the moderator later. These people on Arnold Bread, for eight hours would sit in a room listening to women talk about it was all women, right? Yeah. So this is back in the nineties talk about bread and what they liked about it and what they didn't like about it. So, um, I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but it's interesting (laughs) to think that what you're doing is so different than what that was. Eight hours for five days listening to women talk about what they liked for their family about bread and not being able to have a conversation the whole time. I think that's even too much bread talk for me. (laughs) I I think it would dissuade you from wanting to do it at that point. So. On that note, I never thought I would get that little anecdote. I never thought about it, but I, who, th- who knew I was going to get that anecdote into a podcast on the eighth year,
2: Yeah, but,
1: uh, you know, on a food podcast, but it was kind of relevant. But um, oh. anyway, the point is, I don't mind the Aura wheat rye because it's generally all I can get and toasted with butter on it. It's, yeah. not, it's not that bad. Although one son tells me that it's got a ton of preservatives, preservatives in it, and we know that because it lasts a while.
3: Yes. Well, the that's one of the good things about sourdough, too, is um, that it does last a pretty long time, like compared to if you're making bread at home with just commercial yeast, you know, it's usually like moldy or just too stale after a day or two. But like the it doesn't usually last longer than that in my house, but um, it does keep for quite a while. How long
2: should
1: it keep? I just got a loaf of sourdough freshly baked. And by day two, it was too stale.
3: Oh, well, how are you keeping it?
1: Well, I didn't do much with it. I should, I should put it in the freezer and pull it out when I want it. I understand. Well,
3: I, I mean, I'll usually just like wrap it in um, either a plastic bag or like I have a little bread box and so I'll wrap it in like a a tea towel and just, you know, um, after the first day toast it, but it doesn't, it doesn't get moldy for like, I don't know, some of my loaves that last like a week and a half. Uh,
1: That's good, But yeah, uh, this was just in paper. And I think I made it needed to do something better than paper. And I know that I've been eating bread long enough. Yeah, but I was a little surprised that a fresh loaf day, you know, usually I can get to day three yeah and, and it's still okay. It might be a little crusty, yeah but th- this was like it was croutons or nothing, mm-hmm. so at yeah. that point that's okay, and I loved it when it was good, but so anyway, um I learned back in those Arnold days don't and you tell me, don't put it in the refrigerator, put it in the freezer, and I do that with the bagels. I get quite a few bagels from Bowery and mm-hmm. Um, Michael Madigan made the awesome suggestion of slice them and then put them in the freezer so you can pull them out and they're already sliced. You don't have to wait for them to thaw, so.
3: Yeah, yeah, um, I know quite a few sourdough bakers who do that would just, like, slice a loaf and, and put it in the freezer and then you can just take a slice out and put it right in the toaster and it's great. Um, I, I don't, I, my freezer is just tiny and we don't ever have, um, you know, bread to put in the freezer because my son eats like a loaf a day. But
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. That that gave you a little jump start with uh, everything that you were doing to have that much consumed to get to the to have the opportunity to learn.
3: Yeah, so, well, and the um, we have you know the Portland Free Fridge. Do um, you have you heard, have you seen that? No, like it's it's this really cool program where um, like there are sponsors in neighborhoods all around uh, Portland and they'll put up like a, a refrigerator um, housed in front of the sponsor's house or a pantry. And it's like, a, take what you need, leave what you can kind of thing. Um, and it's been awesome for people who are experiencing food insecurity, but um, we have a pantry, not a fridge, but we have a pantry in our neighborhood. And so I've been like um, stocking that with loaves of bread, um, especially when I have stuff that I, you know, just have too much of it and, don't need to sell it like um, so that's been a really good way to to get through stuff too
1: well that's that is a good way to handle that and I'm yeah. sure uh, I, people don't even know where it came from probably
3: no yeah it's really it's fun <laughs> to just leave like mystery bags of sourdough and then it's always gone the next day
1: so all right so everybody can follow you and know when you're gonna be popping up uh, at little Lucy bread on Instagram yes mm-hmm That is fantastic. You know, right? Just when I said that, my phone buzzed as though it was kind of like a game show: ding, ding, ding. That was it. Was either the it was either the ding, ding, ding that that information is important, or it's time to end. So one of the two. So listen, I'm going to let you go. Okay. Is this before or after your daily workout?
3: uh before if i am gonna get one today i don't know
1: exactly i can see it in your i can see it in your eyes yeah you you need to go and uh i really appreciate your time again and thank you so much and let's touch base yeah thanks uh,
3: thanks for having me it was good to talk to you
1: it's really fun thanks all right see ya